Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Kusada Baptist Church. We want to be a lighthouse to guide you on your journey through life. I want to ask you to turn, if you've got a Bible with you, to Second uh, Peter chapter 3. That's where we'll spend most of the time this morning. Uh, working on your New Year's resolution. Got it together. I, uh, I, I love people who make really ambitious resolutions because it's fun to watch how that turns out uh, the, the kind of resolutions I make are, are more in line with the ones that Miss Jan made uh, I saw on Facebook she has just simply resolved that in 2024 she will not write 2023 like on a check or something you know uh, that's that's good that's that's a great start so uh, we're, we're going to go through this message and talk about the new year and you know, think about, you know, maybe what should next year look like for me. So keep that uh, in mind. But I also want to do kind of an infomercial uh, this morning. Uh, we, uh, have a, an, we have a, a set of classes that usually take place on Sunday night. Uh, and, and the part that I help with responsibility for is called Next Level. And beginning on January 21st, we've got a new series that's going to start. And there's a guy named Steve Langer who has put together an end-time study, and that's going to be what is, is the main offering on Sunday nights starting on January 21st. So I want to encourage you to watch for details about that and consider uh, being a part of that. Deb Root, Aguilar, their family attends here regularly, and somewhere along the way, Deb saw and heard this guy uh, mentioned it to Brother Jim, mentioned it to Brother Mark. They said, with everything that's going on in our world right now, uh, this, would be, this might be a good time for an end times study. So uh, just, again, watch out for the details, and, and maybe you can be a part of that. And so kind of want to introduce that, set the stage for that this morning, and talk about an event, uh, a series of events, that the Bible describes as the day of the Lord. And when we say day, we, we think of day like uh, the day of Pentecost or the day of atonement, but the day of the Lord uh, is more than just a single day. It's really a series of days. It's really a series of events. And, and that phrase, the day of the Lord, is something that we see all through the Bible, and it speaks of a time when God will personally step in and fix things, set things right. And he, he's done that along the way. There are times when God has personally stepped in. In the days of Noah, they were doing their own thing, and God said, enough of that, and so God stepped in. Israel had uh, wound up in captivity in Egypt, and God spoke to Moses through a burning bush, and God stepped in to do something uh, different. The prophet Elijah had been very outspoken against the king and the queen. He wound up having to go into hiding, and God stepped in and personally took care of him. Jesus Christ came as God, came as a human being. He came uh, in a manger. He came on the cross, and throughout all that 33-year span of Jesus' life, God personally came to step in and set things right, to fix some things. And the Bible talks about a day when he's going to do that again. And it's simply called the day of the Lord. That exact language, the day of the Lord, you'll find that 25 to 30 times throughout the Bible. 
And over 200 times, the Bible simply refers to that day, speaking about the day of the Lord. So it's a, it's a theme that's all through the Bible, but, but what does it mean? We're going to talk about three groups of people this morning. And the first group, um, to, just, to just jump into this, uh, if you're following along, if you like to pencil notes in uh, on your bulletin, then the, the first point this morning is the day of the Lord will be a day of reckoning for those who are the enemies of God. Now, what does it mean to be an enemy of God? I'm not talking about somebody who aims a nuke at the sky and hopes that they hit heaven or people who would attack Israel. But James talks about it this way. James says that whoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? We just got kind of like a worldly mindset. When I think about major issues, when I think about issues that are gray issues that some people feel this way and some people feel this way and when we think about things like homosexuality and pornography and gambling and alcohol and we think about stealing when we think about um, making a commitment when we think about our priorities when we think about uh, the things that we value all of those things we want we want to have a mindset that's really close to the mindset that Christ had on those things and not a worldly mindset and James simply says it that way if we line up with the world on 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 issues more often than we line up with Christ on issues then we probably find ourselves in the category of being an enemy of God I don't want to be in that category because the Bible says there'll be a day of reckoning we 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 do we do things, whatever they might be. We think things, we say things, we stand in the corner, and, and we have these ideas, and, and at some point, there'll, there'll be a payday for some of those things. And the Bible talks about that. In Second Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter says, I, I want to write you. This is the second time I'm writing you. And uh, a part of this scripture is on the screen. You'll see it when we get there. But if you're following along in your Bible, you'll see most of it. Uh, but, but specifically in verse 3, Peter says this. Think about the last days. Scoffers will come. Uh, people who make fun. People who uh, sneer at, you know, what we think or what we say. Peter says in the last days scoffers, critics, skeptics will come. They'll walk according to their own lust. This is what I want to do. This is what I think. This is, this is how I feel. This is what's important to me. They'll walk according to uh, what, what's important to them. And they'll ask this question, where are the promises? God has made all these promises. Where are the promises of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, basically they're saying generations have come, generations have gone. People have said this, people who said this are dead now. And, and all these people have died and they've, and they've made these promises and, and everything just goes on just like it always has from the creation of the world. We just keep doing the same stuff. But in verse 5 it says that they willfully forget, they choose to ignore one fact, that the word of God... From old, it talks about when the earth was standing out of water and in the water. It's talking about the flood. And it says in verse 6 that the world that existed then perished 
being flooded with water. Basically, Peter's saying God has done this before, and, and God will do this again. People have said, where's the promise? People have said, I don't see it coming. People have said, you know, people have been talking about this for a long, long time, and none of it ever happens. Uh, Peter said it happened. Peter said it happened to the people who were living in the days of Noah. And um, what God has done before, God can and will do again. And he will do that under this umbrella of the day of the Lord. But again, not just a day, really a, a series of days, a series of events. And I don't know if you've studied end times much. I don't know if you know the terminology. If you, if you think about what's supposed to happen. But really there are like five major events, I guess, that, are, that, that we can kind of use them as anchors. And, and, and one is the rapture of the church. And, and most of the folks that, that we would probably agree with would, would say that the rapture of the church is the next major event in the life of the church. Christ is going to come. He doesn't return all the way to earth. He comes in the air, and there's, there's all these passages in the Bible that talk about us as the church being caught up to meet him in the air, and we'll be with him forever. So there's this event called the rapture, which kind of opens the door for the tribulation to begin, which is like this seven-year period, which is almost hell on earth uh, in a lot of ways. And then at the end of the tribulation is, is, is the second coming of Jesus. The rapture and the second coming are two different things. Jesus comes for the church, and he takes us to heaven. After the tribulation, the Bible talks about another day, that's not a secret, that's not a surprise when Jesus comes back to earth to really set things right, and then that kind of opens the door for this thousand-year period that's called the millennium where there's peace on earth, like Garden of Eden kind of peace on earth, and then at the end of that thousand years, there's a new heaven and a new earth. So rapture, tribulation, second coming, Millennial kingdom, a thousand years, and then new heaven, new earth. So those, those five things kind of anchor it. You may not agree with them. You may not line up on the exact order of them, but there, there are five things that, that are probably going to happen in some sequence, and that's a sequence that kind of seems to fit and make sense, to me at least, and a lot of people when you read the Bible. Somewhere in the middle of those events, there are going to be a series of judgments, uh, People are going to stand before God to give an account for one thing or another. And one of those judgments, the Bible talks about where the book of life is opened, names not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. That will be a day of reckoning. I, we, we don't like to think about those things sometimes. We'd rather think on good thoughts, but... Those are some of the realities that are in the Bible, that there will be a day of reckoning. And, and the Bible talks about it all, all through there, that there will be some kind of payback, that folks will get what they deserve. And that's exactly what grace and mercy are all about. In grace and mercy, I don't get what I deserve. I don't get what I deserve. That's... That's what grace and mercy are about. If I got what I deserved, I would probably wind up in separation from God as well because of the number of times that I have chosen to separate myself from him 
throughout my life. So I, I, I don't want what I deserve. Isaiah chapter 2 talks about the day of the Lord. First time it's mentioned. It says that the proud and the lofty and the exalted will be humbled. Isaiah chapter 7 talks about the day of the Lord. It says that the Lord will whistle, like kind of whistle. And flies will come from the Nile and bees will come from Assyria. Ooh, flies. Ooh, bees. They were one of the ten things that tore the Egyptians. You know, those are some of the things that, that, that tore the Egyptians apart while they were living in disobedience to the commands of God through Moses. And so when the Lord whistles for flies to come, when the Lord whistles for bees to come, a lot of it's symbolic language. But it's a day that we don't want to be on the wrong side in that day. Isaiah chapter 13 talks about a day when the fierce wrath of a holy God, which is reserved for unrepentant sinners, will be turned loose. The fierce wrath of a holy God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the fierce wrath of a holy God. I want to be obedient. I want to be where I'm supposed to be. I, I want my name to be in the book of life. I want to be a part of those that Jesus comes for because the Bible is very clear. The day of the Lord will occur, and it's a day when God will act. Judgment will occur. Uh, and, and probably one of, the, one of the most awful aspects of the day of the Lord is just the, the realization of knowing that what God said was right and what I thought was wrong. There are times in our life when we thought something and we thought that we were right and we find out that we were wrong. I remember when I was in college, I had just, just left my mom and dad's house, moved to Birmingham to live with an aunt and uncle there. I was going to school, and my first church job was in Montevallo. And so each weekend, I would go and stay in, in Montevallo. And I, there was a, a, a young guy there, maybe three or four years older than me. He worked in Birmingham. He was out of his house a lot, and he let me stay there and did not charge me rent, and that was great. It was an older house. I tried to help out and do what I could. I tried to help out around the house, and somewhere along the way, he said something about a light on his front porch. He would love to have a light on his front porch. So I took the electrical experience, vast as it was, that I got from working with my grandfather when I was a kid, and I installed a light on his front porch. And it was great. Right inside the door of the house, there was a little electric heater. And it had one of those dials on it. It didn't have a low, medium, high. It was just a dial. And the more you turned it, the more power that went to that element. And the brighter it was and the more heat that it gave. And me and my, my, my wonderful electrical job, that little dial on the heater was like a dimmer switch <laughs> on that light on the porch. I just knew that I wired it up right, but I didn't. I wired it up wrong, and it could have been bad. I could have burned Rick's house down. So there's just things like that that go on in our life, and probably all of us can relate to that story and think of times when I thought I was right. I knew I was right. I knew I was right, but I was wrong. Probably one of the most awful aspects of the day of the Lord will be that realization, I thought I was right. I thought I was right. I believed in science. 
I believed in the stars. I believed in kismet or karma or luck or fate or chance or whatever you want to call it. I believed in philosophy or psychology. I believed in the economy. I believed in nothing. Whatever it was, I believed in something else. I had access. I heard the truth. Somebody said there was a God. They said, put your trust in Christ. But I said, this is more important. This is my way. This is the way that works for me. This is the path that makes sense to me. I'm going to follow this path. I thought it was the right path. But I realize now that it wasn't. And there's going to be this lostness, this separation that the Bible describes as forever. So I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. When that happens, that's what the scoffers were saying in Peter's day. Where is the promise? What promise? The promises that Isaiah had made, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Joel, Zephaniah, Zechariah, Malachi, all these prophets, 500 years before Peter was writing his letter, had made these promises about what God would do about what it would look like. And people in Peter's day were saying, you've been talking about this for 500 years, and these things have not happened. And that's what the folks were thinking in Noah's day. We're, we're living in it now. We're looking back. It's not 500 years. Now it's 2,500 years. And we're looking back on the things that were written by Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zephaniah and all these guys and saying, where are these things? God hasn't stepped in. God hasn't done anything. And all these folks were just talking about crazy Noah building a boat in the middle of land. And they thought it was crazy until the day that it started raining. And then they realized that they had rejected God and there'll be folks who realize at some point that they rejected Christ, they had the opportunity, they could have known, they could have trusted, they could have followed, they just didn't. So it'll be a day of reckoning for the enemies of God. It'll be a day of restoration for the nation of Israel. And still in our text, it says, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 8, don't forget this one thing. That with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. But it says this, God is not slack concerning his promise. He's long-suffering. Sometimes he takes his time about it, but God will fulfill his promises. The, it, 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 may be, it may be now, it may be later, but God will fulfill his promises. Now, when you think about Israel, because that's what this point is about, there's one of those flies or bees. Hope not. Um, when you think about the nation of Israel, the reality is that they that they're God's chosen people and they have a special relationship with Him. But over four thousand years, they've they've blown it a lot of times. They've moved away from that relationship. Many times they have sinned. Each and every time, God would take the initiative to bring them back. Through Moses, through the judges, through the prophets, God would take the initiative to bring them back. And then Messiah comes along. And they completely miss Messiah. They completely miss Jesus as 
God's chosen one. And so Israel today needs to be reconciled. Israel today needs to be restored. They need to have that relationship with God. In, and in the world that we live in today, Israel has become basically a secular nation. When you listen to the words of the president, when he speaks about the current events in the nation, when he speaks about the war with Hamas, when he speaks about these things, it's secular language these days. When they talk about the economy and how they plan and what they do, it's secular language these days. They don't talk about themselves as the people of God. They don't, they don't think of themselves as what would, what would Yahweh have us to do in this situation. They just don't think about that anymore. Not, not, not saying they're bad, I'm just saying they've become a secular nation. They need to be restored. When this happens, when restoration occurs for Israel, the fact that restoration is even possible for Israel is all built on one thing, the day of the Lord and the fact that God is faithful to keep his promises to his nation. So what kind of promises? What promises has God made to them? In Genesis chapter 15, God made a promise to Abraham and said that you'll have land. And God gave the boundaries of that land. And under Moses and Joshua, they went and they claimed the promised land. They conquered the promised land. They took much of the promised land. But never in the history of Israel have they possessed all of the land that God promised to Abraham. It hasn't happened, but it will it will in the last days. God will fulfill that promise. In Malachi, God says that the north and the south will come together. They, they, were at, they were at odds to such a degree that the northern tribes of Israel don't even know who they are today, but they will be reunited. Their hearts will turn toward each other. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking, and he talks about an event, an event that will be uh, set in motion by what he calls a midnight cry. And he's talking about himself as the groom. The groom will come and get his bride. And that will kick off that tribulation event where Antichrist will have some freedom to do some things on earth. And later in that same chapter, Jesus talks about another event. Uh, something that will probably happen at the end of the tribulation where the and sit on the throne of his glory, and it says that he will gather the nations of the world to be judged, and they, and they will be judged as either a sheep nation or a goat nation. Zechariah chapter 14 talks about this event. Zechariah says that, that the day will come when God will gather the nations of the world together to fight against Israel in a battle that's called Armageddon, and that God himself will fight for his people. Zechariah says that in that day the Lord will descend from heaven, that his feet will come to rest on the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives sits on the eastern side of Jerusalem, about two miles outside of the city. We had a group that went there. They know where the Mount of Olives is. They know its proximity to the nation of Israel. It's just right there. You can just look out the eastern side of Jerusalem and just see it there. And, and the Bible says that when Jesus comes, that mountain will split in half. Part of it will move to the north. Part of it will move to the south. On the eastern wall of Jerusalem, there's a gate that faces toward the Mount of Olives. 
When Jesus was here the first time, he said, I'll come back and I'll go through that gate and enter the city. And in response to, the, in response to that, the Jews said, well, we'll break it up. And so they blocked off the eastern entrance. In my mind, I see when Jesus descends and the Mount of Olives splits, I just see a fissure that just goes to the wall of Jerusalem and just breaks that gate open where Jesus can enter. And Matthew tells us about a day. Jesus told him, Jesus told us himself that on that day he will gather the nations to Jerusalem and he will judge them for one thing and one thing only, how they treated Israel. That, that's a major issue in our world today. It's a major political issue in our world today. Do we stand with Israel? Do we not stand with Israel? Here's the part of the reason that so many say we must stand with Israel. Whether they're right, whether they're wrong, whether they're religious, whether they're secular, they're God's people. And the Bible says that in the last days... Christ himself will gather the nations and he will judge them. Around the nation of Israel, there are 22 Muslim nations. They call themselves the Arab League. They outnumber Israel 40 to 1. 22 Muslim nations, mostly ruled by dictators, strongly Muslim. The places where Al-Qaeda and the Taliban and Hamas and Hezbollah exist, and they don't like Israel. And the Bible says that in the last days, the world will be judged for how they treat Israel. Do they stand with Israel? It's part of his promise. It's part of the promise for restoration. Micah chapter 4 says that they will come when Israel will take their swords and their spears and they'll hammer them out into farming tools and people won't train for war anymore there's a promise to the nation of israel a day of restoration so there's going to be a day of reckoning it's going to be a day of restoration but the part that we really need to focus on is the last part of those verses that says it's a day for readiness on the part of the body of christ 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, the earth and the works that are therein will be burned up, and since all these things that we see around us will be dissolved, Peter asked the question, What manner of persons ought we to be in holy conduct and godliness? so that we look forward to, so that we actually speed up the coming of the day of God. And in verse 13, he, he talks about the promise that when that happens, we have this promise of a new heaven and a new earth. Are we ready for that? Spiritually, are we ready? Do I have Jesus as my Savior? I, I want to know that. I want to be on the right side of that day of reckoning. But then I want to I be ready as a part of the body of Christ, as part of the bride of Christ. I want to be ready when he comes. Most of the Old Testament references to the day of the Lord are bad. Um, Amos says 
if you think it's coming, run. But here's what's going to happen. If you run from a lion, you're going to run into a bear. And you're going to go to your house and get inside and think that you're safe and you're going to be bitten by a snake. Again, all just imagery of what the prophets were seeing, but to tell us that we need to be ready. We need to be ready for that day when it comes. It's going to be bad for some, but it depends on which side you're on, and it depends on whether or not you're prepared. Now, one of the things I do almost every night is watch a few YouTube videos and you know, YouTube makes suggestions for you, and one of the suggestions for me is a comedian that's a really funny guy. I never hear any stories that he tell that aren't clean. All, all, of, his, all of his comedy is clean. Now, he, he weaves some language in through there, but all of his stories are clean. And one of the things that he says is, is, is he hopes that, that someday somebody will explain to him the power of plywood. Because he says in, in all of the history of mankind, he says there's never been a sudden hurricane. He said, you know, they, they form out in the Atlantic Ocean, and, and we talk about them for two weeks before they get here, and every night on the evening news, the local weatherman will say, and the hurricane will come through your neighborhood a week from Tuesday. And he said, and then there's always this one family that they're out there boarding up their house with plywood. He said, would somebody explain to me the miracle of plywood? Because he says, you turn around and you look, and here comes this convoy. It's the National Guard, and they're coming through, and there's tanks and Humvees and helicopters and everything, and they're, and they're leading people out of town. And he said, what's the problem? Could they not find plywood? Everybody prepares in different ways, but there is some preparation that needs to go on in the heart of a believer, a member of the body of Christ, to be ready for his return. So what does it look like? We just need to be ready because 1 Thessalonians says that it will occur like a thief in the night. Same kind of language that Peter used. Matthew chapter 24 says, Of that day and hour, nobody knows. We don't know. We don't need to know. If we had needed to know, Jesus would have known, and Jesus would have told us when that day was going to occur. He didn't tell us when. He said, you don't need to know when. You just need to be ready. You need to watch and be prepared. Be ready. Mark chapter 13, nobody knows the day and the hour. Just be watchful, because the day of the Lord will come like a hurricane. Hurricanes? You just said hurricanes don't come suddenly. No, they don't. We've been tracking the day of the Lord for years. We know it's out there. We know that it's coming. But when it happens, don't wait till it happens to get out of town. Don't wait till it happens to make a decision about what you're going to do. Don't wait till that time to say, i got to get across that five-mile bridge across Lake Pontchartrain and get out of New Orleans before it hits New Orleans. If you wait till then, then you're in trouble because then it does come like a thief in the night. Then it does happen with suddenness and fury, that storm surge and that wind and that rain and those spin-up tornadoes and all those things that come with it. We've got to be ready, but if we're going to be ready, we've got to get ready ahead of time. So what does that look like? What does it mean? 
One of the things it means that one of these days will be that day. You know? One of these days will be that day. One of these years, and we gather on New Year's Eve, and we say, you know, this next year might be the year that the Lord returns. One of these years, it's going to be that year. One of these days, Hamas will lob its last rocket over into Jerusalem. One of these days, there's going to be that midnight cry. To some, it'll sound like a trumpet. To some, it'll sound like the voice of God. But Jesus will come for his bride and will be with the Lord from that moment forever. Peter said, since these things are going to be dissolved, the world, my job, the company I work for, business, finance, government, Starbucks, all this, since it's going to be gone, what kind of person should I be? So here's what I want to encourage you to do to prepare. Fix things and tell people. That's it. You spent 30 minutes to tell me that? Fix things and tell people? I had, to, I had to talk for 30 minutes. I was supposed to. So, yes, fix things and tell people. Because the day's going to come when you're going to be like me at Rick's house, and you're going to say, I thought I had that wired up right, but I had that wired up wrong. And so there's habits that we excuse, and there's attitudes that we tolerate and there are conversations that we've had where I feel like I said the right thing and I'm not going to go back and unsay what I said because we think we're right and there are relationships that are strained and there are things that we need to fix in our life so yes write 2024 instead of 2023 but maybe there are some other things that God puts on your heart from time to time and says, fix this, work on this, pay attention to this, and then tell people, I don't know when. I don't know if this is the year. I don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. People have written books trying to say, this is the year, and this is why this is going to be the year. And here's this timeline, and I can tell you that on March the 13th of 2024, Jesus is going to come. I don't know. We don't know. It might be this year, but be ready. And help people be ready. There's somebody that you can tell. Somebody that you're so much better prepared to tell than I am. Somebody that you have a relationship with I don't. And, and, and you can tell them. You can let them know. You know, Jesus is an important part of my life. And I just want you to, I just want you to make Jesus an important part of your life. We're going to sing a song this morning that says, Just as I am. And he accepts us just as we are. But there are times when he nudges us. Fix this. Tell them. Fix that. Tell her. Fix that. Tell him. And so maybe this morning, if God puts some of that on your heart, you can make a decision. I'm going to write 2024. But I'm also going to do those things that God is nudging me about. I'll be down here at the front if you just want somebody to pray with you, but just take a minute. If God's speaking to you today, uh, get ready for 2024. Father, we thank you today for the hope that we have as believers in Jesus Christ. 
that when all these things start to happen, uh, our future is secure because of our relationship with Jesus. It's a lot to think about. It's a lot to understand. It's too much to talk about in one Sunday. And so it's good that we'll have a study in January where we can kind of unpack it. But God, it does remind us today to be ready. So help us to be ready. Fix things. Tell people. God, if there's something we need to do today, just prompt us, nudge us. Help us to be obedient and respond. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our prayer that it's been helpful in this part of your life journey. We invite you to join us at Kusada Sunday mornings for worship. Visit our website at kusadabaptist.org for directions and more information about our church.